It's the inevitable fate that all of us will eventually face. Although it's often feared or dreaded, it can drive us forward and motivate us to live our lives to the fullest. The vernacular is full of mentions of this phenomenon that is an anomalous fact of life. Religions reference it relentlessly in their rites and rituals. We'll dig deep into death on this week's episode of FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. Welcome to another exciting edition of, you guessed it, FYI, for your English. And if you haven't figured it out, we're going to take a look at a somber subject. For those of you who have that morbid curiosity, we've all stopped when there was a traffic accident or at least slowed down to see what was going on. And let's be honest, death is a part of life. So I want to start out by saying thank you to my student, David, for recommending this episode. I jumped on the opportunity to do it because I think it's important to know a little bit about death and also to know the right vocabulary to use. Because usually, if you have to use these expressions that we're going to look at, it's at a funeral or some event like this, when you're expressing your feelings towards somebody's loss, for example. And as you can imagine, it's a delicate subject. You don't just want to go up to somebody at a funeral, you know, the widow, for example, and the widow is la viuda, and say, hey, I'm really sorry your husband kicked the bucket. Lo siento que la palmó. You know, this is a delicate time. So we're going to take a look at all that and all these fun facts. So thank you to David for suggesting it. And while we're at it, I'm going to send a shout out to all my patrons. Now, who are my patrons? My patrons are my students who are with me every day, every week. And we have classes. If you're in our interstellar level, you get a monthly class with me, a monthly private class with me. And then every week you get a review class where we take a look at the vocabulary in each episode. So I urge all of you, if you haven't discovered our curious community, go over to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. And for as little as three euros a month, Plus tax, you can have access to a bonus episode, worksheets, and so much more. Plus, you're part of a community. So join us. Take a look if you'd like. You can get more information on patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. We're having lots of fun, and I sure hope you'll join us. And you can get as little or as much as you want. You don't know how many people have asked me, Alberto, can I get classes with you? And the answer is yes. You just have to join us over on Patreon in our interstellar level. Speaking of, a shout out to all my interstellar students, Carmen, Lina, Isa, Paco, 
and Edgar. And don't forget about my super-duper students, Javier, Paco, Roberto, David, who recommended the episode, Jose Maria, who was in our last episode on dancing, Mila, and Alex. If you want more information, go over to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso and join our curious community. Let's take a look at the intro to today's show because, as always, I like to put some verbs, some adjectives, as you say in Spanish, palabrones, million-dollar words, words that make you sound eloquent. I started out by saying it's the inevitable fate. Ooh, esta es difícil, eh? Inevitable. Inevitable. Se escribe igual. It's written exactly the same. It's the inevitable fate. Destino that all of us will eventually face, que a la larga la vamos a enfrentar. We will face it one day. Eventually, we use this adverb a lot. Then I said, although it's often feared or dreaded, it's the same thing to fear something or to dread. I would say to dread sounds even stronger. I said it can also drive us forward to propel us and motivate us to live our lives to the fullest. How many times have you heard of somebody who had a near-death experience and they approached their life in a totally different way once they survived it? Examples are people who have been in a coma or who, you know, had very slim chances of surviving a disease and ended up fighting it and winning. And that's something we'll realize here in this episode. The human body is just an amazing machine. And who doesn't want to live their life to the fullest? Vivir la vida a tope. Then I said the vernacular is full of mentions. The vernacular is the modern day language, is full of mentions of this phenomenon that is an anomalous fact of life. And then I wrapped up the intro saying religions reference it relentlessly, sin parar, in their rites, sus ritos, and their rituals. And I want you to pronounce that word with me. No es ritual, ritual. So you notice there were two words in the intro that you would recognize in Spanish, but they're pronounced totally different. Let's say them together. Inevitable, rituals. Inevitable, rituals. Nice job. Well, are you ready to dig deep into death on this week's episode? And did you catch my pun there? To dig deep, cavar profundamente, all right, well, I don't want to make too many jokes. I mean, death is a serious subject. But remember, half of my teaching style is cracking jokes and laughing. So we'll try and treat it as serious as possible. Let's begin with a little definition of death. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before we get into the definition, let's clear something up. Death, la muerte. Die, morir. It's a verb. And dead is is the adjective. So he's dead because he died. He was never afraid of death. Don't mix them up. They're different parts of speech, and I've heard students mix them up often. Now there's my disclaimer. We can get into our definition. Death is the irreversible cessation. Cesar, sound familiar? The irreversible, también, son palabras que vienen de latín, of all biological functions that sustain an organism. For organisms with a brain, death can also be defined as the irreversible cessation of functioning of the whole brain, 
including the brainstem. And I remember something from anatomy class. If I'm not mistaken, the brainstem is called the medulla oblongata. The definition goes on to say, and brain death is sometimes used as a legal definition of death. The remains of a former organism normally begin to decompose shortly after death. And in the bonus part, we're going to take a look at what happens, the processes. And I'm just going to warn you now, I think it's going to be a bit graphic. But hey, I think, you know, learning about the body, learning about life, death, and everything in between is so important. Just because it's an uncomfortable topic or an uncomfortable subject doesn't mean we should avoid it. I think we should talk about it even more. As of the early 21st century, 56 million people, obviously this is ballpark, a ballpark is an estimation, 56 million people die per year. Now let's see if you guys know the answer to this one. What is the most common reason, the most common cause of death? Did you guess? Did you say cardiovascular disease? Because if you said cardiovascular disease, you nailed it. But that's not the only one. I realized as I was researching this that there are so many different ways to die. Even death by vending machine. And in the United States, over 7,000 people a year are killed due to messy handwriting. Messy handwriting, or as we call it, chicken scratch. And what does this mean? Well, if you've ever seen the way a doctor writes a prescription, it's chicken scratch. You can't read their writing. And that has sadly led to many deaths. 7,000 too many. We'll take a look at some other causes of death in the bonus episode. And we just looked at the definition, but if you think about it, determining when death has happened or occurred is extremely difficult because it doesn't happen simultaneously. You know, not all of your organs stop working at the same time. That's why they say, okay, so which ones have to stop working so that we can deem or consider this a death? So even though we just defined death, there's still a gray area in there. Usually, life is defined in terms of consciousness. If you're conscious, you're alive. So when consciousness ceases, some people say that that's death. But there are flaws, again, and that's why all of this stuff is debated. Flaws are imperfecciones, imperfections. Because if you use that approach, that definition, there are many organisms that are alive, but probably not conscious. And this is where we get into this whole euthanasia debate. And we're not going to get into debates today. I just want to look at all the different aspects. Historically, they define death as the cessation of the heartbeat, cardiac arrest. So when your heart stops beating, you're dead. Or when you start breathing... But when they developed CPR, which is cardiopulmonary resuscitation, I think, it stands for, significa, pero nadie lo dice así, because if you need to, you know, usually when you're saying those words, you got to say them quickly, I imagine. I need CPR, give him CPR. No need to say the long version. But CPR and 
defibrillation have rendered that definition inadequate. I mean, we've all seen it. How many times have first responders reactivated a heartbeat or gotten somebody to start breathing again? So both of these functions, thanks to modern technology, can be restarted. Not always, but sometimes. And then, as we said in the, the intro, many religions believe your life starts when you die, your eternal life, your life of rewards. And I've got to say, as somebody who's not very religious, but I am spiritual, I would like to think there's more. I think it offers humanity hope. And this is not just a Catholic or a Christian thing. Many religions and cultures have their ideas on the afterlife. Many of them say that you will be judged. You will face a judgment day. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, well then, in the case of Christianity, St. Peter will open the pearly gates of heaven. And there are also a lot of different customs around how to bury the body, but we'll take a look at that and more fun facts in the bonus episode. Right now, we're going to take a look at the processes. Processes is the plural of the word process, and the process I'm referring to is human decomposition. It is a natural process, obviously, which involves the breakdown, and when something breaks down, it gets down to its smallest denominator. So it involves the breakdown of tissues and the rate at which a human body decomposes varies. And that's due to several factors such as weather, temperature, moisture or humidity, pH and oxygen levels, cause of death, body position. I mean, there are a lot of different factors, but we're going to look at it in general. There are generally four stages of decomposition, and I found this information on a funeral director's website, so <laughs> I imagine he knows what he's talking about. Also, as I always do when I'm researching for these episodes, I look at a lot of different websites just to get all kinds of contrasting opinions and just to get ideas too. The four stages are autolysis, bloat, active decay, and skeletonization. Now, I think the last one is pretty clear. That's when you're finally a skeleton, when your body turns into a skeleton. So obviously that's the fourth and final stage. The first one is autolysis, and this is the first stage of human decomposition. Another way to say it would be self-digestion. The body begins to digest itself, and this happens immediately after death. As soon as blood circulation and respiration stop, the body has no way of receiving oxygen or removing waste. And waste is, well, pee-pee and poopy. And then the excess carbon dioxide, it's a little bit technical here, but if you're following along, it's pretty simple. The excess carbon dioxide causes an acidic environment, con acido, and it causes the membranes in the cells to rupture, to break. And these membranes that break open, they release enzymes that begin to eat the cells from the inside out. 
Is anybody hungry? <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, stage two of human decomposition is bloating. And this is a really good word to know as well. This word is a word that we use when you're hinchado. We don't only use it when you're dead. Oh man, I drank too much beer. I'm bloated. My wife tells me sometimes when she's on her period that she gets bloated, hinchado. And bloating of the body is when leaked enzymes, okay, leaked es que se escapan, leaked enzymes from the first stage begin producing many gases. And due to these gases, bueno, ya hemos usado due to muchas veces. On account of these gases, the human body, are you ready for this? The human body can double in size, giving it a bloated look. And that's why this stage is called bloating. These compounds contain sulfur, and these are released by the bacteria, which is what causes the skin discoloration. Also, this is the stage where you'll start to see insect activity. Sounds like fun, huh? <laughs> I told you this wasn't going to be an easy subject to tackle, but we're learning a lot of vocabulary. And by the way, if you can't keep up with all the vocabulary, consider becoming a patron. You'll have access to all of it in the PDFs. The third stage is active decay. Now, this is when fluids released through your orifices, ¿te suena? An orifice is a hole in your body. And this is when you can really start to see that active decay, as the stage is called. Organs, Muscles and skin become liquefied. When all of the body's soft tissue decomposes, the hair, the bones, the cartilage, the cadaver loses most of its mass during this stage, as you can imagine. And then the next stage, which I said is the final stage, skeletonization. I tried not to get too technical over there, but I tried to go over the basics. Let me sum it up in other ways as well. Again, I got all this information right from an undertaker's website. But wait, before I said funeral director, and then I said undertaker, like the wrestler. Well, both are correct. I think funeral director sounds nicer, a little bit nicer at least. And honestly, every time I think of the undertaker, I think of wrestling. And again, this timeline isn't all bodies. There are a lot of factors that go into play here. But in the first 24 to 72 hours after death, the internal organs begin to decompose. Three to five days after death is when the body starts to bloat, as we said before. This is when blood and foam, a mixture of blood and foam, espuma, start coming out of your orifices, your mouth and your nostrils. Your nostrils are the holes in your mouth. Then, eight to ten days after death, the body starts to turn from green to red as the blood begins to decompose and the organs in the abdomen accumulate gas. Hey, that sounds like my life story. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we're going to find out in the fun facts later. You don't stop farting when you die. Uh-oh. Then, several weeks after death, your nails and your teeth fall out. And there's a popular myth that your nails and your hair, they keep growing after you die. And we're going to prove in the bonus part of the show 
that that is just that, a myth. They don't continue to grow, and I'll tell you why. Then about one month after your death, the body starts to liquefy. Again, all these things can be less or more, depending on the environment, cause of death, and all that jazz. So let's talk a little bit about the people who dedicate their lives to this profession. I imagine it must be a, a unique kind of person. So another word, I already told you undertaker, I told you funeral director, but also we say mortician. If you know the Adams family, what is the, the mother's name, the wife? Her name is Morticia. It comes from mortician. So it started out as undertaker, then they went to mortician, and now it's funeral director. I say it's the guy who deals with the dead bodies. And I, I gotta be honest, you know, we're laughing right now a little bit here, but I, that's a job I couldn't stomach. I don't think I could do it. I have a phobia of death. Not death, not dying, but dead bodies, coffins, ataudes. I don't like things associated with death. Which is weird because I like Black Sabbath and dark metal. But when it comes to real death, I don't like it. And I always remember a quote that my mom would say to me when we had to go to a funeral. I remember we went to my great-grandmother's funeral. And I said, Mom, I'm scared. And she said, you shouldn't be scared of dead people. You should be scared of the people who are alive. And it made me chuckle, but I've got to be honest with you. I'm still afraid of corpses. I don't really want to touch them or be too near them. So what is the role of an undertaker, a, a mortician, or uh, a funeral director? Well, depending on the family, they'll have to do different things. But in general, they're responsible for collecting the person who died, their body, obviously, from the home, the hospital, the hospice, paliativos. It's interesting, hospital, hospital, and hospice, donde vas a morir. And then they put that toe tag on you, that famous toe tag, and that's how they identify you. Then they take the body to the funeral home or crematorium, and they store it, lo almacenan, in a cool place. This helps keep the body preserved until they cremate it, if in fact they cremate it. If not, they bury the body. If they're going to bury the body, well, then they'll usually embalm the bodies. And embalming is where the undertaker removes the blood and fluids from the person's body and replaces them with water, colorants, and chemicals that help preserve the body. If I'm not mistaken, they use formaldehyde. Normally, if a body is going to be cremated, then they don't embalm the body. So in my case, I'll tell you right here as part of my last will and testament, I want to be cremated. That's right, I don't want to be underground. Or as we say, Six Feet Under, which is also the name of a very popular show from back in the day. And we're going to take a look at why it's six feet and not seven feet. I know you say a dos metros bajo tierra, but we say six feet under. And if you choose to put the body on display so that the family can see the body, that's called an open casket funeral. Abierto. Now, in that case, they embalm you, even if they're going to cremate you after because people want to see you in good condition. They don't want to see you looking worse than you did. And that part is called the wake. I think you say velatorio, the wake. I think somebody was being funny there. Hey, did you hear about his uncle? He died. And now we're going to his wake. 
What? Yeah, somebody there had a sense of humor. But after the wake, usually you have a funeral ceremony where if you have the ashes, you have an urn. I think you say urna in Spanish. And if not, you go to the cemetery or the graveyard and you bury the body. And usually there's a priest. Obviously, it depends on your religion, but um, there'll be a priest there that reads something. There's usually a eulogy. A eulogy is ese tributo que se dice. The priest also, if you're religious, will perform your last rites. But your last rites are performed not at your funeral, but when you're dying. And there's always that joke of, what is it going to say on your epitaph? Your epitaph is the words that are written on your grave, on your tombstone. I guess you can also put them in your obituary. And this is vocabulary, all vocabulary associated with death. Obituary is the announcement in the newspaper. And then you have the funeral. You bury the deceased. It's a very formal way of saying the dead. And then you have a party. What? Yeah, at least in the United States, we have a party afterwards called a repast. I know, I know what you're thinking. A party? Somebody just died. Yeah, but think of it as a way to celebrate the person's life. I mean, now that you got the whole family together, when was the last time you did that? At a wedding or a funeral. So it's a chance to have a great moment together and remember that person's life. We've got to get going right now. Don't worry, we're not going to the great beyond. I'm just going to take a quick pause and then we're going to come back with our bonus episode. And I sure hope you're dying to hear our bonus episode of FYI. 